Father, we thank you that you supply all our needs in all ways. We just ask that this teaching this morning will supply us with the input that we need so that we might give freely and cheerfully as you desire. Amen. So who have you come to worship this morning? Good answer. I was going to say a distant deity, you know, some old man in the sky, a puny little pocket-sized god. Or have you come to worship the eternal creator? The one who spoke the, the universe into existence. The one who uses the earth for a footstool. The one who holds the keys to heaven and hell himself. The only keys. Raise your hand if you've come to worship that God this morning. Seriously. That's cool. See, here at North Pine, we worship the one true living God. The only God. And he's big. And he's in control. Now, he's the one who who gave us life. And he loves you. And he wants you to be happy. He wants his children to be happy. He wants you to live this life with an inexpressible joy, with a zeal and a fire, and an excitement that he's going to use you in this life to touch the lives of the people around you. And as you do, praise and thanks will go up to God And he will receive the glory that rightfully belongs to him. One writer says, Our whole purpose in this life is to bring glory to God by doing good to others. To bring glory to God by doing good to others. And I think for the small soundbite that it is, I think he's right. Our purpose in life is to bring glory to God. And we can do that by, by doing good to others. And that's what we're going to see in the passage this morning. Christians doing good to others and God getting the glory for it. Or in other words, Christians fulfilling their purpose in life by being generous. In the passage this morning, we'll see that God desires his people to give freely and fully and cheerfully to those in need especially other Christians. But it's not just going to happen. We've got to get ready. We've got to get ready to give. And this is the first point we're going to look at in verses 1 to 5. So in 1 to 5, we've got Paul writing to the Corinthian church about the money that they've been stashing away for the church in Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, the church in Corinth is, is near a port, busy trade. There's a lot more money in that area and particularly in that church compared to the one in Jerusalem, which is really struggling at the moment. So the Corinthians are keen uh, to help out the other church by giving them a a generous uh, donation of money. And Paul knows they want to give money. That's why he says in verse 1 and 2, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying, Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. In other words, Paul's saying, 
I don't need to write to you about giving the money. I know you're already, uh, already ready, willing and able. In fact, Paul seems certain that they want to give generously to the other church because he's even boasting about them to other Christians. Now, this is a shame and honour culture that we're, we're talking about here. So for Paul to go around boasting, you know, that's a big deal. You know, he must, have been, he must have been absolutely sure that they were completely ready to give their money away. And from the passage, it seems exactly that. You know, for all the issues that the Corinthian church had, it seems that when it comes to giving uh, to the church in Jerusalem, they were completely ready to give. They were willing to give. In fact, it seems they had an exceptional interest in being of service to the other church. Paul says their zeal is stirring up and challenging other Christians to have the same kind of attitude as they do. And their zeal, they, they proved it because, like Paul says, they started collecting money sometime last year for it. They weren't all talk. See, Paul's a great leader and a pastor and he knows they're ready to give. But he's just, he's just writing to make sure that they follow through on this promise that they've made. And this is for at least three reasons. To make sure none of them end up being humiliated. To make sure their money is actually ready for collection when the brothers get there. And to make sure that their money is actually given as a thoughtful and loving and generous gift. Not out of obligation. And not a last-minute scuffle around the ashtray of the donkey for some shrapnel, you know? Or a bit, of a, a bit of a scrape around the handbag for some loose coins. You know, but as a premeditated, willing and generous gift, in full, ready to hand over. See, their heart, their heart was in it and they trusted Paul's instructions on giving. Back a couple pages in 1 Corinthians 16... Paul gave them the heads up to put some money away for the church so that they'd be ready. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. Can you, can you taste the other-centeredness of the passage? Thinking ahead, planning ahead, putting aside some money every week because there's always going to be other people who need our help. So are you getting ready to give? Are you getting ready to give? Are you working hard to make an honest living? Or at least being diligent with whatever income or money that God provides you with? Are you setting some aside on a regular basis? Are you being wise so that after putting some aside, you still have enough to live off? See, these are good questions to ask yourself. The big question, though, is the why. Why do you put some money aside? Or why don't you put some money aside? See, that's a hard question. That, that's a worship question. Because what we do with our money... Is, is an indication of who or what we actually worship. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve money and God. So why do you give or why don't you give? Only you and God know the real answer to that. And your answer is directly related to your current spiritual condition. In fact, the answer might just reveal where your allegiance truly lies, with God or with money. There's no in-between. Jesus said it himself, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. But what we can do is serve and worship God with our money. And one way to do that is to put some aside every week so that it's ready to give. I, uh, I found this perspective helpful when it comes to getting ready to give. Instead of thinking, how much of my money am I going to give this week, I now want to think, how much of God's money am I going to keep for myself this week? And not only do I find that helpful, but it's really convicting. You're welcome. So who do you worship today? Who do you worship? The God who lives inside your wallet, in your back pocket? Or the God who rules over heaven and earth? Who is your master? Who is your master? I've got four small kids. You may have heard them this morning. Now, when it comes to their birthdays or Christmas, my family, uh, they just go crazy with gifts, like nuts, like lavish and shower and just abundantly give gifts to these kids, like over the top. Like we lose kids in the wrapping paper. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, it's crazy. Um, and so like at Christmas time, we'll come, my dad will come around, or the family will come around, and I'll go downstairs to help dad bring up the gifts. And it is just bag after bag after bag, like big bags. I'm not talking, I'm not talking Woolies bags. I'm talking sacks. You know, there's lots. It's crazy. Just abundant. And they just love to give abundantly. You can see the joy on the faces they do. They just love to give fully and freely and cheerfully, even though they're far from well off. And no one tells them to give that much. It's the, they just do it because that's what they want to give. That's what they want to give. It's been laid on their heart to give, and so they do it, and they do it cheerfully. And this is Paul's main point here to the Corinthians. Though he's not talking about my family in Christmas time. You know, he's talking about the Corinthians giving freely and fully and cheerfully according to what is on their heart. You could say he wants them to sow with a smile. Let's read from verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul's using a farming analogy here. He's talking about how sowing seed is directly related to the amount of crops a farmer will get. You think about it. You plant one seed, expect to get one plant. Plant 100 seeds, expect to get 100 plants. That's the principle. But in, the, in this context, 
he's actually talking about how much the Corinthian church is going to give to Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem. That's the sowing bit. And the results that will come from that. That's the reaping bit. And so Paul wants them to give like my family gives at Christmas time. Because the more they give, the greater the results will be. But he's not going to command any certain amount of money. He won't command this much or that much. Because everyone needs to decide that for themselves. He doesn't want the money gift to be, to be, to be forced and, and rigid and cold. He wants them to, to put forward whatever is on their heart to give so that it's truly free and a generous gift. Now, some might be thinking, shouldn't they just give 10% and be done with it? God only says to give 10% anyway, so just do that. But the thing is, the, the tithe in the Bible might not be as straightforward as you think. See, throughout the Old Testament, there are various forms of required giving. And when you add them up, it ends up being much closer to 25% than 10 Scary stuff. But when it comes to free will giving, just like in our passage in Corinthians, it's all about bringing whatever your heart desires. Does anyone uh, recall, I'm sure there's plenty, do you recall Exodus 35 and 36? God wants Israel to build the tabernacle. All right, so he tells Moses to get the people to bring whatever, whatever is on their heart. To, to contribute to that. Moses says, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. And do you remember what happened? The guys who were building it had to tell them to stop because they ended up getting too much. There was an overflow, there was an excess, an abundance just from the willingness of people bringing their free gifts. Now, it was God, God's people gave to God's cause and they did it willingly, freely, happily. And they ended up having too much. You know, what a, what a beautiful picture that is, eh? What a beautiful picture of unity and community that is. It reminds me of the early church in Acts where, where all the believers were together and, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and giving to whoever had need. And no one lacked anything. No one lacked anything. You know, everyone was taken care of. You know, that could be us here at North Pine. If we take hold of this, of, of this word and, and others like it. And put it into practice. And that's what, that's what Paul wants for the Corinthian church. He wants them to give generously. So, how much should you give? That's the big question, right? Well, if you haven't caught, caught on yet, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. Francis Qualls once said, God looks not to the quantity of the gift, but to the quality of the givers. So quality giving primarily comes from here, not here. It comes from your heart, not your wallet. It's totally between you and God. 
But essentially, it's a question of trust. Many of us put our hand up this morning to confirm who we were here to worship. And that's great. Awesome. But do you believe what that God says about generous giving? Because we often don't think like God does, right? Our logic works a little bit differently. God says, so bountifully, and you'll reap bountifully. But we might think, hang on, if I give some money, I'm just going to have less. I'll keep it. I'll just keep it right here. But this kind of thinking is totally toxic to our faith. It turns, a, it turns a freshwater stream into a stagnant pond. Stinky old pond. Our faith can easily go stale when we fail to be generous givers. Maybe to the point where we even doubt God's love for us. But verse 7 holds a, holds a promise that is certain and sure. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we sow bountifully. He loves it when we give cheerfully from the heart. So being generous will actually bolster your faith. It'll help keep it fresh. God loves a cheerful giver. What a promise to hold on to. Like, uh, like many of us here, I'm self-employed. And one of the driving philosophies of my business is the phrase, enough to live, enough to give. If the money I wait, this is what I mean, if the money I make covers both those things, then I reckon I've had a win. Right, but if it doesn't, then I start to freak out a bit. I freak out. So thankfully, verses 8 to 11 gave me a fair slap around the chops this week. You know, it reminded me of, of how weak my faith can be at times and how powerful and gracious and all-sufficient God is absolutely all the time. Let's read together from verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all-sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supply, supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So Paul's still trying to encourage generous giving from the Corinthians. He even quotes Psalm 112 there, which is... Um, which at first I thought it was talking about God, but it's actually talking about, it's an example of a, of a generous giver from the Psalms. It's worthwhile reading Psalm 111 and 112 together, or the whole book. Um, so basically what Paul's saying in this section is, hey look, don't freak out about giving heaps. Don't freak out about giving heaps of money. Remember that God's really big and that he really is in control. Now, he's going to make sure you have exactly what you need all the time to be generous. So go. Give freely. Give happily. Don't stress it. So for us, that means we need to consider where we are and who God has put in our life right now. 
Are they in need? Are they in need? It's a good question to ask because you probably have exactly what they need. God will supply. It could be money or other possessions. You've got like food or furniture. It could be a helping hand to your neighbour or even a ministry right here in the church. So your knowledge and gifts and skills and abilities could be exactly what's needed right now. Maybe it's simply some of your time and and patience and a listening ear. Maybe Maybe it's your forgiveness they need right now. Maybe some of us need to give up some luxuries and give them to others or hold off buying something for a while. It could be many different things. Many, many different things. But there's one thing they need for certain. There's one thing they need for certain, and that's to know that God loves them. Everyone must know that God loves them. They must know. And God's promised to make sure that you have everything you need at all times so you can show the love of God to others with your generosity. And guess what? Every believer is suited perfectly to the task. Everyone fits that job description. The question is, what are you prepared to give or give up so that others might have an advantage? In chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. There's the ultimate example, folks. Jesus Christ gave up his life so that we could have an advantage. God himself left the glory of heaven to walk this earth and and suffer and die in our place so that we might know the love of God ourselves. God gave us his only son. Jesus Christ is God's inexpressible gift to us. And the example Jesus gives uh, for generous giving is wholehearted, sacrificial giving of ourselves, never holding back, so that the love of God would be known by everyone. But before we give like that, we've got to give ourselves fully to God. Because change needs to happen in here, right? Our hearts need to widen so that our, that our hands can too. Which means we're going to need to repent of our love for money and stuff and ask God to help us loosen the, the grip that we have on this world. It's so clingy. If only we could let go and know true and lasting joy, deep-seated joy. Help me let go, Jesus. We need to do that to show the love of God to others. But it's going to mean we're going to be uncomfortable at times. We're going to have all we need, but we mightn't have all we want. And that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt people like us. 
Someone once said, when it comes to giving until it hurts, most people have a very low pain threshold. (laughs) Guilty. Absolutely guilty. See, giving like Jesus does means we're going to be uncomfortable at times. But I'm pretty certain that Jesus wasn't that comfortable hanging off the cross. Instead of being praised in heaven, he was being pierced for our sin. And we wouldn't know the love of God apart from that sacrifice. We would not know it at all. No hope, no future, apart from that giving that Jesus gave fully, wholeheartedly. Giving matters, right? So what are you prepared to give or give up to show God's love to other people? And what does all this cheerful giving achieve anyway? Well, there's a few things in verse 11 to 14. Let's read. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace upon you. There's at least four things that come from generous giving. It meets people's needs, not wants. It creates unity in the church. It produces thanksgiving to God. And it gives God the glory that rightfully belongs to him. See, giving happily to others, especially others in need, is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. It fulfills your purpose in life and it leads to thanksgiving, or because it leads to thanksgiving and glory to God. So if you're looking for that deep-seated and lasting joy in the very core of your being, give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And after all, if we say we worship God, and that we trust him with our souls for all eternity, then why not with everything else we have in this life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you for the effect and the power that it has in our life. Help us to trust you, to trust your word, to believe your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Move in and through us, Lord. Do your work. Help us to give generously and freely to show the love that you have for us to others. And may you draw some into your kingdom and grow it that you might be further thanked and glorified forevermore. Amen.